When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome to the American Patchwork and Quilting Podcast. I'm Lindsay Mayland, and I'm so excited to be here with you. This week, I'm putting our staff on the spot, and I'm asking them to name the quilting product that changed their life. Now, I just love questions like this because I think it forces us to look at those tools that you use every day and show them a little appreciation. So I'm just gonna take a guess here, but I bet most of the products our staff names as life-changing are probably simple and common tools. But when you first buy things like this, you know, you're so excited because you can't imagine how you ever quilted without one. But as time passes and the tool becomes such a part of your life, uh, you forget how amazing you thought it was when you first bought it. So this episode is a fun way to look at those tried and true tools in your collection and give them a little thanks. So I'll start first with my life-changing product, and it's a thimble. So when I first started quilting, uh, I had such an idea in my head of what type of quilter used a thimble. Um, It was someone who did a lot of hand quilting, uh, maybe somebody who was more of a traditional quilter, um, someone who had grown up sewing with their mom or grandma who used a thimble. Um, And in my head, the thimble was always the metal one, which I knew from the Monopoly game. (laughs) And in my head, I I was not a thimble user. I was not the person that was going to use a thimble. Um, And the funny thing is, I was actually doing quite a lot of handwork over the years, like hand binding my quilts, I was doing cross stitch, uh, English paper piecing, um, and I could never do it for very long because my fingers would get blisters, um, my hands would cramp, uh, or my hands would get really sweaty and then I couldn't grip the needle at all. Um, So I was going through a variety of problems when trying to hand sew. And my simple solution was to finally use a thimble. Uh, And I actually, around this time, went to a quilting event, and they had a little gift bag they were giving away. And inside was a thimble. And it was a silicone thimble, and it fit my finger so comfortably. Um, And at this time, I was in the middle of an English paper piecing project, and I was just really struggling to push the needle through those layers of fabric to sew all of those pieces together. So kind of just on a whim, I just put the thimble on, um, and my whole hand sewing experience changed. So I could sew without blisters. Um, I could more easily control the needle and glide it through the fabric. Um, And I could sew for longer periods of time. So now I use a thimble constantly. I think it's such a helpful tool. 
and it has honestly opened up the world of hand sewing to me. So instead of associating hand sewing with like a painful and time-consuming experience, um, I now love to do hand sewing projects and try new hand sewing techniques. So thank you to the thimble that changed my life. So now I'll hand the mic over to the rest of our staff. So let's listen in. This is Jody, editor of American Patchwork and Quilting. The item in my quilting journey right now that I'm loving is a quilting planner. It's similar to writing in a journal, but it also includes places to write goals and challenges. I sat down to evaluate how many unfinished objects I have, and it's well over 50. But now wait a minute, in my defense, I have been quilting since 1988, and I've been an active member of several guilds, I've taken a lot of classes, I've been involved in a lot of challenges, so that kind of accounts for some of my UFOs. I really consider myself more a block maker than a quilt maker. I love making quilt blocks, and often I don't care if it ever becomes a quilt. I love trying new ideas, color combos, techniques. Well, anyway, these are some of my reasons for why I have so many UFOs, and I decided that I needed to complete more and make them into quilts, and the best way to do that is to be more accountable. A quilt planner seemed like a good way to do that. Now, there's many versions of quilt planners out there, so if you like this idea, find one that suits your needs best. For me, some of my top considerations were, number one, something with a spiral binding or like a three-ring binder so you could add or take out pages as you needed. I wanted a place for photographs, both of the process and then the finished project. I wanted to have pages that had straight lines so that I could write notes. I also wanted graph paper because I want to experiment with color and design ideas. Well, in addition to these things, I also bought a brand new pack of colored pencils and got those all sharpened up and a couple of fun pens so that the writing and the doodling in the pages is also a lot of fun. I started this on January 1st and I'm trying to do something creative every day and record it in my quilt planner. I can't wait to look back at the end of the year and see all of the things that I've learned and accomplished. Hi, I'm Joanna Bergerino, and I'm the editor of Quiltsamore Magazine. If I had to pick just one quilting product that changed my life, I'd have to say block lock rulers. I can't get enough of them. I'm not always the most precise piecer, so I like to make units like flying geese and triangle squares larger than necessary and then trim them down to size. I find my piecing is a lot more accurate that way. The most well-known block lock rulers are the half square triangle and flying geese rulers designed for trimming those units. These acrylic rulers have a handy groove in them that your seam fits into. This groove helps prevent your piece from moving and also prevents your ruler from rocking as you trim. I've never had more accurate trimmed blocks than I've had using these rulers. I've started using their non-slip quilting rulers as well because I liked the trimming ones so much. My favorite is the six inch square size. I use it for just about all my piecing. Their nonstick coating works great for keeping the ruler from wiggling around. And I like how thin the printed lines are on the rulers because I find that with wider printed lines, I don't always line up my units the same way. Sometimes the unit is just touching the wider line. Other times it's centered underneath the wider line and I have no idea. 
I know it seems like a small thing, but if I'm cutting lots of little pieces, those minute differences start to add up, especially if my stitching also gets a little off. I've just found over the years that the more accurately I can cut my pieces, the less frustrated I am when I'm trying to sew them all together and hoping that they fit. So block lock rulers have made all the difference in helping me to sew accurately. Hi, I'm Allison, the designer of Quilts and More. When thinking about quilting products that changed my life, it's easy to overlook the things that get used every day because they become commonplace. Right alongside rotary cutters, thread snips, and pins, I regularly use a wool pressing mat. I use it so frequently that I forget it's not one of those sewing basics that everyone has. It has changed my quilting and piecing accuracy tremendously over the years. Wool pressing mats are made of 100% felted wool and are usually around half inch thick. They come in a variety of different sizes. I own one that's 14 inches square. For the most part, this size fits my needs perfectly. Individual quilt blocks fit on this size, but if I'm pressing larger pieces of fabric or a quilt top, I just switch to my regular ironing board. That's one of the great things about wool pressing mats. You just put them right on top of your ironing board and there's no need for additional setup or space. It's also easy to store when not in use and simple to travel with if you want to take it on a retreat. The thing I love most about wool pressing mats is how flat your seams and fabric get when using it. The wool absorbs heat and steam, which results in heating both sides of the fabric at the same time. Fabric gets so crisp and smooth that I don't need to use starch to aid in getting rid of wrinkles or flattening seams. I found that wool pressing mats are especially great for small pieces or bulky seams, things that traditionally are hard to get perfectly flat with a regular ironing board. As with any pressing, whether using a wool pressing mat or traditional ironing board, it's best to leave the fabric or block on your station so it has a second to cool before moving it. This will help in keeping your pieces flat rather than stretching them when they're still warm. When I first started using my wool pressing mat, I did notice a bit of a sheepy smell as the fibers heated up from my iron. So don't be alarmed if you suddenly think you're smelling farm animals. I promise that smell goes away after putting the mat to good use. Hi, I'm Doris, editor of Quilt Sampler Magazine. I'm a quilter that's all about my rotary cutters, my favorite being the Fiskars Comfort Loop for a few reasons. First of all, I have to admit that I'm terrible about retracting blades when I use the straight style rotary cutters, which we all know can be very dangerous. The Comfort Loop rotary cutter requires you to squeeze it to retract the safety guard and to cut with it. So I can just lay it down on the work surface after I use it and not have to worry about the blade being exposed because its default is to be covered with the safety guard. It's also ergonomically more comfortable in my hand. But the product I can't imagine living without is the small 18 millimeter rotary cutter. I use the Clover brand cutter with the soft cushion handle. Olfa and Fiskars both have one of these as well. Um, it works great for cutting round templates, particularly curved templates, and for fussy cutting. Often when I fussy cut, it's a smaller piece of fabric, or sometimes it's an odd shape for EPP, and the smaller rotary cutter works great to cut around those small pieces and small templates um, intended for fussy cutting. It's just a little safer for the fingers. Hi, this is Elizabeth Stumbo, art director for American Patchwork and Quilting and Quilt Sampler Magazines. 
So when I was asked to pick just one quilting product that I can't live without, I really struggled with this question because I instantly thought of two notions that I use in tandem every time I quilt, and I just couldn't pick one over the other. So I hope you will forgive me for bending the rules just a tiny bit. Now these two items are a mini travel iron and a continuous spray water bottle. I love to use my mini travel iron when I go on quilting retreats, but I have found that it is also my go-to iron to use in my home sewing room. I still use my large iron for pressing big pieces of fabric and for adding um, borders onto my quilts, but I find that using my mini iron so much more manageable for pressing small pieces and seams in my quilt blocks. I find the smaller size easier to navigate those tricky seams, and because it is so lightweight, it also puts less strain on my hand and wrist. The only downside is the teeny tiny water chamber it has. I found that I was constantly having to refill it when I needed to use a bunch of steam. So to solve this annoyance, I purchased a continuous spray water bottle, and it was such a game changer. If you aren't familiar, a continuous spray water bottle has an easy to squeeze trigger that releases a very fine mist that is evenly distributed across your fabric, which is so much better than the spotty spray that always came spitting out of my iron. When I started to pair these two items together, it was a game changer and it has made pressing easier and a little bit more enjoyable. Hey, it's Lindsay. I just loved hearing our staff share the quilting products that changed their lives. And I'd love to hear the products that changed our listeners' lives, too. So feel free to shoot me an email at apqpodcast at meredith.com. That's listed in our show notes. I'm just so curious to hear more products that make a difference for people. Uh, and I'd love to do a follow-up of this episode sharing more of these life-changing products. We're going to take a quick ad break, but when we come back, we're sharing some tips for sewing with pre-cuts and hearing a mistake an editor made. Welcome back. It's time for Back to Basics, a segment where we share tips and tricks about a sewing tool or technique. And today I wanted to chat a little about pre-cut fabrics. So I'm sure many sewing rooms have a stock of pre-cut fabrics. Um, my personal weakness is fat quarters and two and a half inch square mini charms, um, but 10 inch squares or layer cakes, um, two and a half inch wide strips, also called jelly rolls, and five inch charm squares are also so popular. There are some quirks to working with pre-cuts though, uh, especially if you're used to working with yardage. So we wanted to share a few tips just as a reminder. So the first tip is don't pre-wash your pre-cut fabric before you use it. So pre-cut fabrics are cut at the size you need them. So washing could cause shrinkage or raveling of the edges. And if you lose some of the size of your pre-cuts, then you may not have them at the right size for the patterns you're making anymore. Going along with that, you don't want to trim off those pinked edges of your pre-cuts if they have them. 
So those are sometimes factored into the size of the square or the strip, and trimming them could cause your pre-cut to be the wrong size. So each pre-cut is different when it comes to pinking, so it's really best to measure for yourself. But generally, when you're sewing pre-cuts together, you want to measure your quarter inch seam from the very tip of the pinked edge and not the divot or the valley of the pinked edge. But some pre-cuts are a little larger, some are a little smaller, so you may just need to measure from um, you know, the, the peak or valley of the pinked edge and determine where you should measure your seam from. So just a little quick measure. Sometimes it seems like pre-cuts are not the exact size they say they are, so factoring that into how you're sewing them together is really important. So some pre-cuts can also be really messy and shed a lot of lint or put fuzz everywhere. I noticed this um, commonly on pre-cut strips and charm packs. Uh, so to help, you can actually just run a lint roller over those cut edges on the pack of fabrics before you take everything apart. And that should just pick up most of the lint and keep it off of your workspace. And lastly, for pieces that are rolled up, like strips, you want to iron those pieces before you start sewing uh, because there's usually a crease in the center of the strip where it was folded um, or the strip may bend to one side or kind of bow in a certain direction instead of being totally straight. But you just want to be gentle with those strips because if you're handling them roughly, they may bend further out of shape. So. When I use strips, I usually only iron out the center crease unless the strip looks really wonky. And there you have it, just a few quick tips for working with pre-cuts. So I'm now going to hand the mic over to Joanna, the editor of Quilts and More, for Quilting Mistakes I Made This Month, where our staff share something they did wrong so we can all learn from it. So take it away, Joanna. So like many listeners, I enjoy making handmade gifts for my friends, and I was recently making the Zip and Go Pouch by Minky Kim in the Quilts and More Winter 2022 issue to give as a present. It was late at night, and I was sewing several projects at once, which is always risky because my attention is scattered, and I found myself getting sleepy. I needed to get the projects done the next day, though, especially the gift pouch, so I felt I had to keep going, no matter what. Now, I have sewn a lot of zippers over the years, and I've gotten pretty used to working with them. They don't give me the anxiety that they used to when I first started sewing them. In fact, one of my favorite zipper tips that I often give to sewers who are just starting to experiment with making zippered projects is to buy long zippers. Because if you're buying the common nylon coil zippers, you can buy longer ones in bulk when they go on sale, and then you'll always have zippers on hand for just about any project. After all, you can shorten a long zipper, but you can't lengthen a short one. So if you're gonna have zippers on hand, it's always better to buy longer. You just need to be careful when you shorten the zipper because you're going to be trimming off the part that has the metal zipper stop on one end. In Zip and Go, you sew a new fabric stop on that end to keep the zipper head from flying off. I just trimmed off the excess tape, including the metal zipper stop, and I hadn't added the fabric stop yet. 
I continued to sew the pouch and remembered that I needed to open the zipper so that I could turn it right side out later. What I forgot was that I hadn't added the fabric stop yet, and I pulled off the zipper head all the way off the tape. It went sailing off the end with a zing and landed somewhere across the room. Apparently, I felt the need to open it with a lot of gusto. I had to crawl around on the ground to try to find it, and then when I did find it, I couldn't get it back on, so I had to watch a bunch of videos online about how you can connect a zipper head back onto zipper tape. It's surprisingly tricky to feed both sides of the zipper teeth onto the head, especially when they're sewn onto the project already. I debated just starting over, but I was so close to the end of the project that I didn't want to scrap it, especially since it was already so late at night. Eventually, I was able to get it back on and finish the pouch up, but it took a lot longer than it should have. I figured my mistake was not remembering that I had no zipper stop, but really I think the bigger mistake was trying to sew when I was so sleepy. It just never ends well. If I had taken a break and finished it up later, even going to bed and just waking up early the next day, I might not have wasted so much time having to fix my own silly mistakes. Thanks, Joanna. Uh, boy, I have had some sleepy sewing mistakes as well, so hearing stories like this is always a good reminder to not sew if you're feeling a little tired. Although I am incredibly impressed that Joanna was sewing a zipper so late at night, uh, I feel like I would need like multiple cups of coffee and my whole attention to sew a bag. <laughs> So we're going to take a quick ad break now, but when we come back, we are chatting with Donna from Stitches in Time Quilt Shop. Welcome back. I'm handing the mic over to Doris, the editor of Quilt Sampler Magazine for a Love Your Local Quilt Shop. Take it away, Doris. Hi, this is Doris Burnett, editor of Quilt Sampler Magazine with another installment of Love Your Local Quilt Shop where we feature the community connections and success stories of our independent quilt shops. Today, I'm talking to the owner of Stitches in Time Quilt Shop in Oakfield, Wisconsin, Donna Redman. Welcome, Donna. It's so nice to have a chance to chat with you. Thanks, Doris. I really appreciate the opportunity. I know you started your shop up in the year 2000. Can you tell me how you came to open a quilt sh shop and a little bit about it? I'd love to. But maybe first I should share a little inspirational story that helped me with that decision. So 25 years ago, the Oakville community was hit by an F5 tornado, and our home was a total loss. In fact, the picture of my house half off of its foundation, with fabric literally streaming out the broken sewing window, was the photo featured on the national newscast. We were fortunate that there were no fatalities. And the surrounding communities and businesses really stepped up and helped us with rebuilding efforts. Um, literally, the next day, we were overrun with volunteers. So unknown to me, my sister-in-law was interviewed by reporters and told my story of how we had lost everything, how I was a quilter, and everything was gone. The tornado hit on a Thursday. On Monday, I got a request to go to the local post office. Boxes had started arriving full of fabric, books, rulers, just about everything a quilter would want. Um, letters of encouragement, fellow quilters sharing their favorite fabric or ruler from their stash to rebuild mine. It was incredible. Yeah, that is an incredible story. First of all, like that's like every quilter's nightmare, right? To see your stash like um, go up in smoke. 
or flames or wind from a tornado. So, and it just definitely proves what we're always talking about here is um, how generous quilters are. Yep. Yeah. And the tornado taught us a valuable lesson. Um, you know, life is short and there are no guarantees for tomorrow. So I had always talked of owning a quilt shop when I retired and after rebuilding and everything, my husband said, you know what, we're going to do it now. If that's what you want to do, why wait? So in 2000, we purchased a vacant lot that had been a gas station before the tornado. And with the help of my family and friends, we built a shop from the ground up. Um, the building was deliberately designed like a ranch style so that if my dream, you know, didn't work out, we could at least remodel it and sell it as a, as a property, as a home. Um, but now we're celebrating 22 years in business. Our original plans would have like 350 to 500 bolts of fabric, and I was going to offer long-arm quilting. Um, today, my customers have a choice of over 6,000 bolts of fabric, and we're recognized as the premier quilt shop in Wisconsin. Um, in 2019, Jeff and I were lucky enough to celebrate our 40th wedding anniversary in Hawaii while attending the FOSS Elite Top Sales Award. Um, I feel like I've come full circle. I am so pleased, so blessed by the wonderful friendship that I have because of Stitches in Time. Wow, that's a great story. And I love your practical plan of building the shop. Um, in the style of a house so that <laughs> just in case your dream failed, but I'm glad it worked yeah. out for you. Yeah. I'm glad it went the other way. Yeah. Customers always come in and they say, do you live here? And I say, well, <laughs> kind of, but not really. <laughs> yeah. Yes and no. Right. <laughs> well, I know you had told me that um, COVID brought shopping in your store to a complete halt in 2020. I know Wisconsin um, basically shut down as a lot of places here in Iowa did as well. Um, and you started uh, doing some, videos and stuff because you needed to keep up with your FOF machine sales and that. How did you pivot your business um, in response to the pandemic? Right. So um, I currently have two projects that I've recorded videos for, um, and they include step-by-step -step written instructions. And I have lots of other projects that include only written instructions. Um, the projects are exclusive to Stitches in Time, um, I designed them to help the customer get more comfortable and proficient with their five sewing machines. So the projects could really be done on any brand machine, um, but some of the techniques are exclusive to FOSS. Um, so you maybe have to substitute a decorative stitch or something. Um, and if we use a FOSS machine to create the embroidery design, I always supply that embroidery file. So um, that would not present a problem for anybody else wanting to try the project. So when, you know, Doris, when COVID hit and the in-store classes were prohibited by, um, by the government, YouTube tutorials really became a lot more popular. And now um, people were kind of forced to, to go to the internet to buy fabric and supplies. And now that's kind of become the go-to, you know, that's our future, um, yeah. the internet. So um, I have, I, I feel like I still want that connection with my customers. I want them to be able to stay at home and still do a project um, and still enjoy that investment um, that they spent a lot of money on the embroidery machines. So um, I'm trying to give this a start. Of course, I always prefer in-house in classes. And I, I really think that that's a better learning opportunity because um, live, you know, things go wrong, customers make mistakes, and it, it just gives a really good learning opportunity. Um, I'm happy to say with the new year, People seem to be more comfortable with in-store classes. Um, I hope our world can get back to that social quilting because there is no better friend or support network 
than your quilting community. Sharing is what we do best as quilters. Yeah, I agree. And it's nice to have the internet to be able to reach each other and, and to reach customers that are farther away geographically that can't just come to your shop. But in the horrible times that we've had where we haven't been able to go physically go to a shop, even if it is just down the road, if you're, if things are closed, um, it's nice to have the internet as the opportunity as well. But um, as we'll admit here, we had a little technical difficulty with recording our video. So those things happen. And like you say, face-to-face -face and live, it's a lot easier to work through those things and work out the bumps, isn't it? Right. But you know, like if you live in a community or, you know, you live where, where your FAF dealer or any quote store is, you know, two or three hour drive, um, that internet gives you that whole store to buy from. So, yeah. um, but you know, it's hard to get service and training, you know, over the internet. Um, yeah. and I think all shops are trying to, to, you know, navigate that. Um, but you know, technologies can be, um, challenging. Yeah, and I think your idea of making those training videos um, for using the machines, I mean, that's excellent. That's a good way of being able to, to service those customers and, and yep. help them get more familiar with their machines and want to use them more. So, Now, I know you have a unique service program that as a quilter and as an avid reader um, who likes to see young people learn how to sew, this one really speaks to me. Can you tell us about your Stronger Together program? Sure. My Stronger Together program um, is where staff and customers of Stitches in Time, we collaborated with the Oldfield Middle School students through their Kindness Day event, um, making and selling book pillows. So on the Kindness Day, the students could um, volunteer raking lawns at the Humane Society. They um, did some tie quilts. Um, they packaged up used books and sent them to hospitals. Um, what I did was I donated all the supplies, and with the help of my customers, who did the majority of the sewing and embroidery of 120 pillows, um, then I took six creative icons to the school for their community service day, and about 20 students, girls and boys alike, did the final seam, um, stuffed the pillows with the pillow inserts, and then my daughter Ashley, who was a middle school English teacher there, um, she coordinated the sale of the book pillows with some student volunteers to area residents and at the annual um, elementary Christmas program. So we sold the pillows for $35, which was a great value. Um, and it provided a gift um, at a really reasonable cost for parents to invest um, for their children. So what a book pillow is, is it's a pillow with a handle. Um, we use the 16-inch pillow form. And it has a pocket um, to insert your book with. And the idea is, is, is at the end of your day, um, it helps your child to settle down. They grab that book pillow. Um, they grab that book and they cuddle up and read to you and then um, fall asleep. So um, the pillow sold for $35 each. And we raised over $3,500 for the fund um, to help needy students um, with some costs and provide um, Christmas presents, that type of thing. That is really cool. I like that program. And you had sent me some pictures of them. And what I, another feature of the pillows that I really like is you did embroidery designs like on the pocket of the pillow. So it's another way of like um, advertising, so to speak, advertising your embroidery machines and what they can do, which is a great idea. There's some Dr. Seuss yep. and 
those fun little characters and sayings and yep um, and some of them embroidery designs you know they took us hours to do they so um after after the program um the feedback that we got from parents like a month later you know they'd run into me and they'd say i purchased one of them pillows and it ended up being my child's favorite christmas present um every single night he's carrying that pillow over i mean goes to bed so yeah it, it just was a great um a great thing and and there was some left over um since then i sold them um because they kind of quit that program um with covid restrictions right so we tried to sell some at you know um other volunteer things um and then that money still goes to the school so i think that's great and i know you told me that um some, some of those leftover funds uh help out students that are struggling with various fees and things throughout the school year and you told me about one little student that um had to go live with grandparents and uh so the fees or those funds helped to pay for their gas because they had to drive from a different town to bring him to school so um that's yeah, yeah, a really just, special you thing you really stuff. never know um you never really know until you're in somebody else's shoes exactly um and lots of times, you know, it's it's not a visual thing, you know. Um, the my daughter's a teacher, and and she realized that these kids weren't coming to school. And when they questioned them, they said, you know, we just can't really afford the gas. You know, it was a thirty mile drive for them. Um, and so she said, you know, we're going to use some of the funds for to help this particular family out. And I said, absolutely, you know, that's what that's for, um, to help these anybody who's just really struggling in in difficult times. Yeah, it's just wonderful. It reaches so far beyond just quilting and sewing. And um, I know you had to, you mentioned already that because of COVID restrictions, you weren't able to um, continue the program uh, the last year. But um, tell me about some of your other uh, community services that you do. Okay, so um, this year, um, Oakville celebrated the um, 25 year anniversary of the tornado and the um, Oakville fire department had a big parade um, and, and sold brats and stuff. Um, I donated a quilt for that, that um, raised over a thousand dollars. And then um, my eight year old granddaughter this year, um, she made a flannel quilt throw that we um, sold tickets off of at the local restaurant um, and that raised over $600 for the fund. So we still try to do stuff. Um, we also donate, donated a quilt um, to the local Make-A-Wish Foundation that raised over $1,000. Um, so um, me and with the help of my customers, you know, there's always some of these people that um, they've been quilting all their lives. They don't need another quilt, but they just still really want to do stuff. So right. I provide the fabric. They make the quilt and we donate it. And everybody kind of wins. Yeah, exactly. I love that. Um, yeah. And like you said, you, what, what you went through 25 years ago when that tornado came through and losing everything yourself, um, you said that, you know, it's a privilege to be able to pay it forward and um, things did really did come full circle for you. And I know there's yep, some of these did. pillows. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, yeah. I do have some pillows left um, that are on my website. And if, if somebody purchases them, the money goes directly to the fund um, for the school. And also this year, um, I'm going to start going through some of my shop samples. I have quilts and, you know, pillows and other things that I need to make for classes. I'm going to start putting them on that same um, Stronger Together link on my page. Um, and anything purchased from that link, um, that money goes directly full to the school district. 
Um, and, and that's just another way until they open things back up where the kids can get more involved. Um, it's just another way to still help raise funds because, um, through COVID, you know, now we're entering our second year of that and everybody's getting a little sick and tired of it for sure. But, um, in addition to that, we just don't have the support that, that we used to have with that. So now a lot of times people are missing work, um, and they're not getting, um, they're just missing work and they're not getting paid to miss work. So um, there's some families that are still really struggling um, even more because of that COVID. Right, exactly. COVID kind of created a whole new set of needs um, that that fund did, can go to yeah. help out with, which is wonderful. So, and we'll make sure that we share in our podcast notes, um, the link to the website. So if anybody wants to go on there and check out your, your pillows, book pillows and um, purchase one, they can do that. So. Right. Uh, and then and videos, when I get that set up with this um, step-by-step directions, um, the videos would be free. So it's just a great way, even if you don't own a FOC machine, um, just get inspired um, and to, and to maybe, um, get more familiar with your own machine and comfortable with your own machine. And I'm happy to share them kinds of things. That's wonderful. Well, Don, I want to thank you again for chatting with me today. And all of us here at American Patchwork and Quilting wish you and your employees great success in this coming year. Thank you for spending your time with me. Thanks so much, Doris. I always love that we can highlight local quilt shops around the country on this podcast because what would we do without them? So we'll link to Stitches and Time's website and social media in our show notes so that you can check them out more and support them if you can. And that's it for today's show. Now, just a reminder that we're working on a special Ask Us Anything episode in March, and we need our listeners to submit us questions. So the questions can be about quilting techniques, storage, anything sewing related, um, or about our jobs or personal sewing projects. So we're really open to anything. So please email me at apqpodcast at meredith.com. That's listed in our show notes so that we can start compiling a list of questions. I look forward to hearing from everyone and I will chat with you all next week.